So, for those who don't know me, my name's Josh, and along with my wife, Vicky, we lead the Salvation Army within the city of Winchester and the surrounding areas and stuff like that. We get as involved as much as we are able and allowed in the work that we do. Um, and it's great that we're able to partner with other churches um, and being part of such of the amazing ecumenical things that happen here. And it's great that we're able to just sit here and know that actually in unity we can sit together, worship the same God, and know that actually the word that he shares for us is the same mission for all of us in this city, regardless of what clothes we wear, because let's face it, in the Salvation Army, we like to look a bit peculiar. And it allows us to just show the love of God to all, so that whomsoever will may be saved. And... This passage of scripture, as has been mentioned, you're looking through the um, Sermon on the Mount the whole time, and we're getting towards the end of it here, and I'm not sure context-wise what you know, what you remember, all of this stuff, but basic stuff, I'm not going to bore you with all the really exciting things that I think is really exciting, but hey, Matthew as a whole, written typically for a Jewish audience, people who would know the Torah, the writings, the prophets, people who would understand the history of the kingdom of Israel and being God's people, to the point where Matthew even groups together Jesus' teaching to be in five separate portions to represent the Pentateuch, as some scholars would say. And I think that's really exciting. I'm not sure about you. Um, maybe I'm just weird. Well, I know I'm weird, but um, maybe that, this just confirms it. But it's amazing that when Jesus comes to this, if we do take that whole scholarly thing of this being a book, like representative of a book of the Pentateuch, of the Torah, this is part of the teaching that displays the beginning of the relationship of God with his people afresh and anew. And I think it's quite fitting that Jesus involves all of this teaching and in it speaks about do not worry. Now, if you're anything like me, as soon as you hear the phrase do not worry, that's an excuse to start worrying. Especially if someone says, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. That is a reason for me to go, but surely if you're saying it, there's a reason for me to worry. So when Jesus says in this, do not worry about the food you eat and the clothes you dress yourselves in and all of this stuff, it makes me naturally go, but surely I should worry. Surely there's a reason for this, otherwise Jesus wouldn't be saying it. And before I know it, hours have gone by and I've wasted a bit of time. But fortunately, Jesus, the much better teacher than I will ever be, moves forward and doesn't leave us in that space of being worried. If you're not like me and you don't get worried as soon as someone says, don't worry, please tell me your secret because I'd love to know. But we move forward. And in this, we read of two examples that Jesus would have grown up with and known quite well. And Jesus is... Who knows how old he is exactly at this point? But what we do know is that he was raised in Nazareth, a small town, small village in the middle of nowhere, which probably would have had about 400, 500 people in it, where everyone grew their own food. Everyone made their own clothing. So they would have, he would have seen all of this worry and concern, and it would have been everyday life for the community that he grew up in. And realistically, when we look at it, 
Of course, Jesus would have spent time in the middle of the countryside looking at birds and flowers. So, of course, that's a natural way to start his examples. When we see the birds, they don't plant or grow their own food. They don't harvest it. They don't store it. They don't do X, Y, Z with it. They don't learn how to bake and then worry if the baking is going to rise enough and be not just horribly wet and uncooked in the middle, which is probably telling you a lot about my ability to bake. But hey, all of this worry doesn't happen for the birds, yet they are fed and they have life and they have it to the full. And Jesus goes as far to say that God feeds them through their natural ability to hunt, prey, and all of that stuff, and the circle of life, to, like, and won't sing Lion King. I almost did, but hey. But we're at the point where all of this, through the natural abilities that God has given to the birds, they have all that they need and all that they require. When we look at the plants, we see things that have no control over the way they look, have no control over really their height or their strength or how long their life is going to be. They literally just grow, produce pollen, make all us hay fever sufferers really sick when we walk past them, and then die and new ones sprout up every year. And they don't worry about this. Yet their beauty is something that Jesus says that even King Solomon couldn't rival. And King Solomon is one of those where arguably in the world's eyes would be someone who was the richest, most successful king of Israel ever. He is the one who expanded the kingdom of Israel to be the biggest it's ever been, the richest it's ever been, and people would flock to Jerusalem to see how amazing Solomon was. Yet with all the money, resources, military power, all of this in the world, Solomon cannot match the natural beauty that comes about through flowers. And I think that is something that's quite marvellous to see, that the natural world has nothing in comparison to human effort. That God's provision, God's creation, God's recreation were at work within the world is something that we can never match as humans. So why worry? If this is the God we love and we serve, and this morning we've worshipped him, we've praised him, we've confessed to him what's going on, why worry if this is the God we serve? And realistically, Jesus moves onwards. And in verse 34, I'm going to jump about a little bit for those of you following in the scripture reading. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. If I might not be reading from the translation of scripture you've got in front of you, so apologies if I'm not. Um, But realistically, we have no control over a lot in life. We just can't have control over things. Tomorrow will be filled with things that are tomorrow's issues. Yesterday was filled with issues that were yesterday's issues. And realistically, we only have control over our actions in this moment. That is all we have control over. And I think that's why Jesus 
goes on to share two bits of advice. So he doesn't leave us with do not worry. He does probably what all like, people trained in education and all of that stuff who are much cleverer than me. They don't talk about it in the negative. They talk about it in the positive. And Jesus goes, well, don't worry about this, but do this instead. And the two things in verse 33 that Jesus says to do instead is seek the kingdom of God and act righteously. And then we will be given all that we need as a result. So in our life, in our living, when we think about this whole do not worry, rather than getting stressed about why should we worry, we seek the kingdom. We seek to control ourselves, live in self-denial, so that we can live in a way that displays the righteousness and holiness of God. A little bit of my Salvation Army holiness teaching coming out a little bit. But we live our lives laying ourselves on the altar of God, waiting for the Holy Spirit to touch us, to transform us, make us new, transform us so that we can be a vessel for the light of God in the world. Because for the world, Jesus died. And everyone can come to understand that. But they can only do that if we choose in this moment and choose in every moment we find ourselves in to give ourselves over to God, to seek the kingdom, not ourselves. In the Bible, um, typically, all the little headings, if you want to ever put tipex into your Bible, just get rid of all the headings because they are not in the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, so just get rid of them. Pretend they're not existing when you're reading your scriptures in your own time. Because I think when we look at this and we go back a little bit, so I'm sorry if anyone for who, to whoever's preached on the bit just before the passage we're reading today, but in, um, it leads through. In the, I'm typically a New Living Translation reader, and there's no break between the teaching about God, loving God, loving money, and this, because it is deeply linked. No one can serve two masters. If we're worrying about our life, typically we're probably in the place of worrying and serving ourselves, realistically. We're seeking after, number one, what, where am I going to get things out of this? How can I provide for myself and what cares for me? Who cares about anyone else as long as I'm okay? Compared to the way of God, which is a way of love and grace and mercy and care for all. Because if Jesus acted in the self-serving way, the cross never would have happened. And none of us would have life. And none of us would have life to the full. So, what are we going to do? Will we in this moment, and in moment by moment by moment by moment, day by day by day, choose to seek the kingdom above all else? 
I'm not going to lie, I think the message um, translation gets a real bad rep by a lot of people. And people denote it as a paraphrase, and even though technically it is a translation, it just happens to be one person translating it rather than about a thousand people. So who knows? But the message translation says this of verse 34. And when I read it, I think it kind of went bang for me. And it says this, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And do not get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. We have no control over tomorrow or the day after or yesterday or even this afternoon if we're going to get as minute as possible. All we have control over is in this moment, am I choosing to give my life over to God? Am I choosing to live a life in surrender to him? Our pa- our, my, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, in the 1800s said that the strength of the Christian, slight paraphrase there, is based on our surrender to God. The strength of the church is based on our surrender to God. As we live lives of surrender, as we choose to live lives of surrender, seeking the kingdom of God above all else, I wonder what amazing things could happen. I wonder what the city of Winchester would look like in a few months' time if we all, moment by moment, chose to seek the kingdom of God. Because God says through Paul in Scripture that he can do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. So let's give God a challenge. Let's dream big, then dream bigger, then dream even bigger than that. Because we're not even going to get to the end of God's strength and God's might and God's majesty and God's power and God's holiness and God's love and God's joy and God's grace. But we can only do that when we choose in this moment to seek the kingdom of God. What are you going to do? I can't answer that for you. The people, person sat next to you can't answer that for you. That's for you and only you to respond. Do what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. But seek the kingdom of God above all else because life is so dramatically great when you do. Lord, I just thank you that you offer life to us. I thank you for your death and resurrection that brings about such amazing transformation in this world. Lord, we apologize for the times where we have not sought your kingdom, where we have got lost in almost self-service without knowing about it or deliberately knowing about it. Lord, in this moment, help us to choose your kingdom above ourselves. You have free reign. Holy Spirit, do what you need to do within our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for life. Father, we love you and we want to serve you and your kingdom. Be with us as we just live lives transformed by your grace. As we seek moment by moment your kingdom. 
bring about such dramatic kingdom-building things in this place that goes far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Let us be in a place of surprise because we have chosen in this moment to seek your kingdom. Thank you for all you're going to do as a result of here and now. Amen.